This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRR-FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Professor Mary Louise McLaws. Mary Louise is an epidemiologist at UNSW and a member of the World Health Organization's Advisory Panel for Infection Prevention and Control Preparedness and Response to COVID-19. Mary Louise joined me to examine the federal government's COVID-19 vaccination modelling. She tells us what this modelling involves, the assumptions that are made, and whether the vaccination targets are high enough in order to safely open up Australia. It's my absolute pleasure now to welcome onto the program Professor Mary Louise McLaws, who is an epidemiologist at UNSW and a member of the World Health Organization's Advisory Panel for Infection Prevention and Control Preparedness and Response to COVID-19. And we're going to be chatting right now about the federal vaccination modelling and targets that were brought to National Cabinet, discussed at National Cabinet, and then also signed up to by the states and territories not so long ago now. And there has been a lot of discussion about this. And I think in our last conversation with Mary Louise, we prefaced this about what kind of targets we should be looking at and what it needs to include and involve. So I welcome Mary Louise now, who is in high demand and also so generous always to come onto the show and talk with us. So thank you so much, Mary Louise, for joining us again. It's a pleasure to join you. Now, this is something that we'd been thinking about for a long time in terms of what is that so-called magic number that we need to get to here in Australia to not go into lockdown to not see huge rises in cases, especially of this Delta variant, which is very different from previous variants. And I think there probably is this idea that there is some kind of magic point where things improve and go away and we get back to life as normal. But usually in life, things aren't as easy and clear cut as they seem. And it's the same thing, I guess, with this discussion around a target and the different phases of restrictions that might be tied to certain targets. So I wanted to ask you about the National Cabinet targets, which are actually looking at the eligible adult population of 16 years and over and what those thresholds actually equate to and what they mean in the sense of the total population. So could you talk us through some of that modelling that you have really been examining in detail and thinking about yourself? So the 70% target, let's take that one first, for transitioning from A to B uh, in the national plan really is, as you rightly point out, the 70% of adults 16 and over, they represent around 80% of the total population. So it's simple math. So 70% of 80%, or it's actually, if you want to be really accurate, it's 80.1%, but 0.1% give or take, it still gives you about 56% across the total population. So if you lined up every Australian, that would be around one in every two would be vaccinated, but the other person would not be vaccinated. And that is not nearly high enough protection level, nowhere near high enough. Now, we have seen that over the last I think we're at 44 days now in New South Wales, no, 45 days, sorry, of lockdown. And that is a lockdown that prevents 
most of us from going more than five or ten kilometres uh, away from our our house. It prevents us from socialising, and so it has all the elements of physical distancing. And we're required to wear a mask, although not a lot of people wear a mask when they're walking around the streets, unless they're in the hotspots. But we should all be wearing a mask. And the reason I bring that up is because. Based on the Doherty model assumptions, is that when they are looking at this 70% of the adults being vaccinated, they're then saying, yes, but there will be an opportunity to have non pharmaceutical interventions come into play. But I would remind them that these non pharmaceutical interventions have been a disaster when it comes to the current outbreak because we've had 99% of cases during the lockdown, 99% of all cases in New South Wales and the greater city have occurred since the lockdown. So I'm not sure exactly how they think that putting in place concurrent public health interventions with one in every second person being vaccinated will be nearly enough to stop Delta from circulating wider into the community. Then they have 80% of the adult population going from B to C to D. And that 80%, I'll remind you, is 80% of the 80% of the total population. And that simple maths, that's 64%. So that means around two in every three people will be vaccinated, but one in every three won't be. And it's not nearly high enough because we know from particularly the UK experience and the Melbourne experience now and the Queensland experience that Delta picks on people who haven't been vaccinated. And we aren't vaccinating our primary school children And we have no plan yet, even though 12 years to 15 years have been approved to be vaccinated, we've got no plan to vaccinate the adolescents. So they're all at risk of acquiring COVID and spreading it into schools because we also know that Delta is unlike the previous wild strains. And unlike even Alpha, that was highly infectious, it didn't seem to cause children to become so viremic, to produce so many viral particles in their respiratory tract that they became a source of infection. It was the other way around. Adults became the source of infection to the kids. But uh, the UK experience shows a totally different pattern with Delta. They do regular sampling of the community and looking at their rounds, round 11, 12 and 13, they've identified very clearly for us that from alpha and then going into delta being the dominant strain in the UK, that now five-year-olds to 24-year-olds are the age group that have the highest prevalence of delta. And that's from a couple of reasons. One, they've been left unvaccinated and their 18 to 24-year-olds only just started to be offered the vaccine. And sadly, the whole world has really underserviced young adults by leaving them last. And yet they're the ones that have been carrying most of the non-Delta infections. And of course, the 
younger children now potentially becoming a source to other kids means that there's likely um, that they'll cause inadvertently um, school outbreaks and then those kids will cause infections in their family and their family, if they're not protected with a vaccine, will then cause infections in the workplace. So even one in three who are not vaccinated is one too many and it certainly doesn't include any children. Yeah, and that was really surprising to me when I was listening to the presentation and looking at the slides and even the report, which says that they did look at the potential benefit of immunising school children between the ages of 12 to 15 years as a so-called thought experiment, but seemed to come to the conclusion that parents would be the ultimate protection in terms of the parents being vaccinated rather than vaccinating children. And I wondered whether the modelling had inputs that didn't reflect the current scenario with Delta in the UK? Like, how would you reach the conclusion that protecting parents would be enough, I guess, as a secondary protection for children? It is a very naive assessment that is based on an old understanding that is really of pre-Delta. So I would suggest that uh, some of this issue with these assumptions is because these uh, models were done early and haven't been remodeled with the very, very clear warnings from the UK, really clear warnings. Then if you don't take the clear warnings, and I have to remind you that the UK provide information free. I'm not a UK resident or a citizen, and I can get into the public health. It's called Public Health England. You can go in there. You can see their their results. You can go into Google and uh, type in uppercase react and then a hyphen one. And that's a a study that's being done, a university-based study that's being done in the UK that also goes into deeper analysis of um, what's happening around their community. And you can actually get some data. You can actually get Excel spreadsheet data, which is something that is very hard to get in Australia. So the, um, you have to be impressed with the amount of transparency. But it's a really important warning that children can be sources of infection. And then if you don't go into the Public Health England site, just go into CDC in America that show that they are very concerned about children that Moderna, which we are now getting, which is great news, is uh, licensed to be given to 18-year-olds and over. Pfizer's been licensed for 16 years and over, but Moderna and Pfizer are both running, well, certainly Pfizer's running a trial looking at the efficacy and safety in kids, little kids from 5 to 12, because Pfizer's been given what's called emergency use authorization by the FDA for giving it to 12 to 15-year-olds. And I think really that, you know, this is a vaccinatable disease, vaccinatable disease, meaning we can actually get on top of this with the vaccine. Mind you, though, every vaccine doesn't have 100% efficacy. But if we vaccinate enough of us, we'll develop like a, like a fence that prevents the virus from getting in. But if you've got one in three in that fence who's vulnerable to a highly infectious agent that now on average gets uh, somebody who's infected to produce a thousand times more viral particles in their respiratory tract, you're talking about a formidable warrior 
formidable. So it can't be that one in three not vaccinated in the general community. So we really do need to be far more aspirational. And obviously in Victoria, we've seen huge amounts of school outbreaks in the last few outbreaks that have locked us down here. And it goes to show that Clearly, the Delta virus is presenting itself differently in children, and you've written a great article about children and and the Delta variant, and we haven't even, that's just dealing with the current variant we have. We don't know what future variants there may be, but I'm sure that there are plenty of parents listening who maybe were unaware that this hasn't been factored into our opening up plans, and that 12 to 15-year-olds clearly are a key area. They have been approved to have Pfizer Um, but they don't have access to the vaccine unless they're an Aboriginal Australian child or someone with a serious health condition like those people in in the 1B phase for adults that we saw earlier. So if we're looking at 12 to 15-year-olds and even earlier, which are that age group is being part of trials across the world as well, the earlier years, what really should we be looking at in terms of the total population? Because clearly when we're only talking about the eligible adult population and having such low figures of one in two or two in three, 56% or 64% of the total population vaccinated, we're going to end up having some very serious, harsh realities uh, if we do follow that plan and, and follow the lifting of certain restrictions. So, you know, how would we actually safely lift these restrictions that were planned and what would be the better targets? Well, I started to redo my analysis in May when the U.S. had approved for adolescents to be vaccinated with Pfizer. And the lowest level across the the children 12 and over would be 80%. That would be the beginning. And that's, you know, that's only about just under 70% of the total population. That's not good enough. And then I retweaked it for, of course, Delta, when we had Delta. And that was based on a much less formidable agent. And then I redid it. And we need about 81% of the total population vaccinated. It's huge. Now, that would make the government feel very anxious because it's a very big ask eight in every 10 of us being vaccinated. And some of us can't be vaccinated because of medical conditions. Others can't be vaccinated because they have a problem with a really important dislike of of AstraZeneca because it's been developed on fetal line cells, which was occurred about two decades ago. But nevertheless, you can't disrespect that. But now with Moderna and with more Pfizer, People who have a religious or cultural dissuasion against AstraZeneca should be able to be offered something that they can take, which is great news. But not everybody will be able to be vaccinated immediately. And and, and it's about equity as well. When do you start opening up without actually ensuring that everybody's had the ability to access the vaccine? And it's all about equality for access. And the young adults and adolescent kids in Australia have not had that access. So equitably, you can't open up any of these restrictions until you've given young adults enough access. Now, I keep hearing that there are some 
who can't get their first dose because when you get onto the booking site online, you can't get your second dose in six weeks' time for, say, AstraZeneca. And that means they can't get any dose. So my advice has been ring up your state government representative in your area. Find out who that person is and ring them up so they can sort the problem out. And I've had people do that and they've come back to me to say it's been sorted. When they've tried to go to the Department of Health, either their website, their telephone, they haven't had any joy. But as soon as they've rung up their representative, their state government representative, all of a sudden everything's fallen into place. So that's good news. But nevertheless, young adults have to have had time to be able to access dose one. And remember, dose one prevents everybody from severe illness, hospitalization and death. A dose is so much better than no dose. But your second dose, particularly for young adults and for children, protect against symptomatic disease. That first dose has very low reduction in symptomatic disease to a point where it's not huge. So it's all about self-protection and staying alive and having uncomplicated disease. But that second dose reduces symptomatic disease remarkably well any of them, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, it's just fabulous because if you don't have symptomatic disease, then even if you have asymptomatic disease, you're not developing sufficient virus to make you highly infectious. So we can actually cut that vicious cycle of infection transmission. And one of the things I wanted to pick up on before we have to finish, Mary Louise, was something that you also bring up in an article in The Conversation, and I've been quite disturbed by, which is um, the messaging that's come from the New South Wales government about getting more freedoms once they reach a trigger of 50% or 60% vaccination. And it's a little bit murky as to whether that means first doses or fully vaccinated, two doses, because the Premier has said the challenge for us is to get as many people vaccinated in August as possible so that by the time August 28 comes around, we have a number of options before us as to how we can ease restrictions. Now, any epidemiologist I've seen has been quite shocked with their jaw on the floor at the idea that you would open up at that kind of level or even just ease any lockdown restrictions at all. So I was really interested in what your observations and thoughts were as to these targets because I think a lot of people may not have the toolkit to be able to question the modelling and the evidence behind these kind of statements. Yeah. Okay. So 50% of the adult population is 50% of 80% because remember adults represent 80% of the full population or 80.1%. 50% of them is 40%. So what the Premier is talking about is gobsmacking. That's four in every 10 people will have the vaccine, but six won't. So I can't actually see how that will enable us to open up safely. So that six people won't be protected from death, severe illness, hospitalisation. And we do know that the majority of vaccinations have been taken up by the elderly. And that's because we had 
a very big commitment to saving them from death. But what we have done inadvertently while doing that is actually putting young adults at risk. So that four in 10 having the vaccine may well represent those that have been older that have had more time to be vaccinated. And I actually think that this approach is very inequitable apart from dangerous. So that six six of you will not be vaccinated and then they'll be opening up. Now, you're quite right, is it one dose or two? Now, a one dose, it's still not aspirational. Yes, uh, four in every 10 won't have to go to hospital and all the complications with that and won't have severe infection. But they certainly have left uh, the six in 10 at the enormous risk. So I don't know if it's a call to arms, um, sorry about the pun, uh, to, to get people to realise and get scared, but they haven't explained why they should be scared. And I'm, I'm not just scared, I'm really furious because it's not looking after our younger generation and our younger generation are our future. And quite frankly, they need to be well, well protected so that they have a happy elderly life and they are really uh, healthy enough to be productive and to be leaders. So I'd like that 50% of the 80%, that's 40%, to really be explained about on what philosophy or what modelling could possibly have said that that was safe. Yeah. Well, with the trend in cases going up, we saw today the 356 local cases announced. 102 of them were in isolation. Uh, 40 were in isolation for part of their infectious period. 57 were not at all for their infectious period. And 157 are still under investigation. So they're clearly not known to contact tracers through any other means at the moment, which is quite concerning. And it's a a figure that has started to be left out of the press conferences is that breakdown and people just saying, oh, well, at least this many people were in isolation. Given that that is a key metric and the Premier herself and the Chief Health Officer said it was the metric was to have all these people in isolation, a lot of debate is going on about, oh, well, has New South Wales left this too late? Is vaccination really the only choice we've got? And then we're seeing this argument there should be a circuit breaker from the CMO at the federal level. I just wonder, just to finish this conversation, you know, what your thoughts are on the future for New South Wales looking forward and and that kind of debate that's going on. Well, you have to be very mindful that vaccination will not get us out of this outbreak, not at 40% of the 80%, not even 80% of the 80%, because that's just, you know, 64%, that's, you know, two and three are vaccinated. Uh, What we need to get out of this is control of the proportion who were contagious and in the community for whatever time they were in the community. So partial, uh, some, not at all. They have to have been in isolation for the whole time they were infectious. So there is, there should be no way out of this in the meantime without some other non-pharmaceutical interventions because having one dose will stop you from dying but won't stop you from catching this. 
it'll stop you because you've only got 33% reduction of a symptomatic infection with the first dose with Delta. So that's great. There's still, you know, 70-odd percent um, likelihood that you'll get an infection, but a really reduced likelihood of, by about 77% of hospitalization and about 95% of death. Great. But you still get infection and you'll still spread it. Mm-hmm. So I can't actually see how that this um, philosophy is at all outbreak management. No, it's definitely not. Well, people can check out your conversation article with your co-authors to see the seven ways that you've proposed to fix Sydney's outbreak. But I really thank you, Mary Louise, for your time. I know you're very busy and um, appreciate all your insights today. It's always a pleasure. And please stay safe and get the vaccine. Absolutely. And you too, Mary Louise. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. I've just been chatting with Professor Mary Louise McLaws. She is an epidemiologist at UNSW and also a member of the World Health Organization's Advisory Panel for Infection Prevention and Control Preparedness and Response to COVID-19. I'm Amy Mullins and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.